Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Today, my friends, you are here to share your truth with the world. Self-sacrifice is not a virtue. Self-love is. My guest today, my friends, is none other than Anita Morjani. And for those of you that don't know who Anita is, she is a New York Times bestselling author. Her book, Dying to Be Me, My Journey from Cancer to Near Death to True Healing, was actually uh, endorsed by amazing human beings, but also, the foreword of the book was written by Dr. Wayne W. Dyer. And also, for those of you that need to know more about Anita, she was born in Singapore of Indian parents, but she moved to Hong Kong at the age of two and has lived in Hong Kong most of her life because of her background in British, British education. She is multilingual and grew up speaking English, Cantonese, and an Indian dialect simultaneously. Imagine that. She later learned French at school. Anita has been working in the corporate world for many years before being diagnosed with cancer back in April of 20, 2002. Sorry. Her fascinating and moving near-death experience in early 2006 tremendously changed her perspective on life and her work is now ingrained with the depths and insights she gained while on the other realm, which we do get into in this conversation that you're about to listen to. As a result of her near-death experience, Anita is often invited to speak at conferences and events around the globe to share her insights. She also uh, is a frequent guest at the University of Hong Kong's Department of Behavioral Sciences, speaking on topics such as dealing with terminal illness, uh, facing death, and the psychology of spiritual beliefs. She is the embodiment of the truth that we all have the inner power and wisdom to overcome even life's most adverse situations uh, as she's the living proof of this possibility. She has a new book out, which I am very excited to um, let you know about. The book is titled, titled Sensitive is a New Strong, The Power of Empaths in an Increasingly Harsh World. Encourage you all to go and get a copy of that now. But the book basically talks about uh, empaths not only sense other people's emotions, but also they absorb them sometimes to their own disadvantage, often leading to overwhelming sensory overload and feelings of confusion or low self-esteem. Their willingness to help and please others might make them prey to opportunists or cause them to give away more energy than they can afford. The book is available anywhere books are sold. I highly encourage you guys to go and get a copy of that. So my friends, if you do get something from this conversation, please do share it around with your friends and family. Let everyone know of this conversation. Don't forget you can support Anita and her work by sharing this one around. It goes a long way in supporting her community, but also the Storybox community too. Really do appreciate each and every one of you that do continue to show up each and every week. 
all the links for everything that you need to support the show, subscribe, leave ratings and review, all in the show notes below too. Uh, you can follow the story box on Instagram, uh, Facebook, YouTube, you name it. Everything is all there for you guys. So my friends, you know what time it is today. It is time to journey with me into the story box as we listen, learn and grow from the amazing story, wisdom and advice of none other than Anita Morjani. Thank you so much, Jay. It's such a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, now, I myself have been through uh, several near-death experiences in, in my young 24 years on this earth, believe it or not, and they've all given me a very unique perspective on life, which I am very excited to dive into your near-death experience in just a moment. Um, but before we do that, I have one question I love asking all my guests at the very, very start which is what does success look like for you? Um, for me, success looks like freedom and happiness, like freedom to be me and, uh, and really just freedom to find my joy in the world. The more freedom I have, the more I feel I've, I've arrived, I'm successful. <laughs> When was the moment for you, Anita, that you realized the success was freedom? And uh, was it sort of like this, this gradual path that you've taken over, over your life or was there more of a catalyst moment in your life? Probably um, a huge moment was after I had the near-death experience. But even then, I think that um, the the real deep understanding of the importance of that freedom for me, it, it continued to evolve because even after that, what happens is you, you go through phases where you think you're free and then you realize, oh, wait, I'm not, there's more, there's more, there's always, there's always levels where you can believe you're free and then something happens and you realize I'm not as free as I thought. Mm. Mm. <laughs> So, so it's been interesting. And, and looking back on my life, I realized that when I was young and growing up and struggling and struggling with my culture and all kinds of things, I realized now that one of my core values was freedom, but I didn't realize it at that time that that's what I was seeking. Mm. Freedom is such a, an interesting topic to actually speak about because we all want to be free and we don't want uh, pain. We don't want uh, challenges in our life. We want to be free of that. We want to be free of all the, the burdens, the hurts, you know, you name it. And what's what strategies would you give to a young person that is actually struggling right now to find uh, a sense of freedom with their the struggles, the hurts, the pains, all that sort of stuff and bring about joy into their life? Um, so if I was talking to a young person or even a younger version of me who hasn't had the experience that I've had, I would say something like the most important thing is your journey to yourself. It is about learning about who you are, how you tick, what makes you happy. It is about um, loving yourself. And when I say love yourself, what I really mean is it's about realizing that you are here for a purpose and you are worthy and deserving of finding that purpose because a lot of people don't realize their true worth. Mm -hmm. And when you don't realize your true worth, you end up pushing away things that, um, that come to you because you know, we hear about people who are really into, let's say, law of attraction for one thing. And so people are doing the whole law of attraction and they're trying to be positive and they're trying to do their vision boards or whatever it is. If you do not feel worthy or deserving of good things, then even when they're in front of you, you're not going to see them. That is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. So I'm I'm always curious, why is it that we, or young people, why is it that they don't feel like that they do have worth or they don't have a sense of purpose in their own life? Why is that, you reckon? I think that, um, I think when we're, when we come into this world, 
we come in with a purpose, but I think that life kind of beats it out of you or conditions it out of you. That's, that's what I feel. I don't think our education system really fosters a sense of self-worth. I think that people seem to think that it does, but it, I mean, it doesn't like, um, I think that, uh, you know, like sometimes people say, oh, you know, kids, um, uh, egos or whatever are so fragile. Now they're even giving out prizes to kids who, who flunk so that they don't feel bad. And so, so I think they're saying that in fact, schools and education is doing too much to pump up people's self-worth, but I don't think that is self-worth. I think to me, self-worth is being able to fail and still being okay with it. In fact, they're teaching kids not to have self-worth when they get rewarded for failing. What kids need to learn is that they need to be good losers. Anybody can be happy or gracious when they win, but what we need to learn is to be good losers and we don't need to have a prize to compensate losing. What we need to do is we need to learn how to lose graciously. We need to learn how to fail graciously. We need to learn how to fall flat on our face, make a fool of ourselves and pick ourselves up and get up and, and, dust ourselves down and move on. Those are the things that kids aren't learning how to do and to do it graciously without blaming other people, without being shamed and all of these things. And still loving yourself in the process of that. And, and I, that's the key. That, that is self-worth. It's about when you love yourself, you love yourself through your failures. And in fact, you realize through my failure, I have to love myself more to get me out of this because a lot of people, what they do is it's easy to love yourself when you're doing really well, but then when they're failing, they're like judging themselves and beating themselves up. And then they're saying, if only I was better, then I'd love myself more. But on the contrary, it's when you're failing that you need to love yourself more. Mm -hmm. It's, it's when you're not doing well that you actually need to love yourself more. And the interesting part about all this is you don't actually learn anything good or anything more about yourself without failure. And you, you don't learn anything really good in success. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's a very curious way of growing, I think. But it, it also brings us back to the point that, you know, we're not infallible. We're not better than another human being. We're all eat, we're all created you know, as humans, we're all given a unique purpose to live on this earth. You know, we're all given uh, different gifts and talents and, and all that sort of stuff. I really believe that. But ultimately it comes down to you are, you were, and you forever will be uh, a person of worth. You were created that way and you should believe that. Um, and it's, yeah. Exactly. That's the biggest thing is uh, to, to realize is that you are worthy and you are, um, you know, basically one of the things that I learned in my near-death experience is that I am an expression of the divine. We all are. We're all facets of the divine. We can call it the divine. We can call it source, God, the universe, whatever you want to call it. But all of us are facets of this divine mm. or source energy. And so we are expressions of it. We are source expressing itself through this physical body in this time and space. So when you don't love yourself, when you feel yourself unworthy, when you beat yourself up, what you are doing is you're actually denying source from expressing itself through you. In other words, denying God, from expressing itself through you. And we don't actually have a right to do that. Um, source has chosen to express itself through you in this moment. And, mm. uh, and we should allow that. I think it's also very selfish at the same time. It, you're, yes, it's very selfish not to allow that. Yeah, you're being selfish to your creator, first and foremost. You're also being selfish to you because you could be so much more than what you actually are telling yourself that you are. And 
if you actually tell yourself, hey, I am worth something here, then maybe I can go down the path of realizing all my greater potential that is is right at my 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 fingertips, but I just need to embrace it. I need to uphold it and I need to take it. <laughs> like exactly. Exactly right. Because when we um when we don't accept who we are and we deny who we are, we're actually denying the world and the universe of our full potential. And a lot of people believe that it's actually selfish to express themselves. They believe they have to dim their light so that others can shine. But in fact, the opposite is selfish. It's selfish not to let your spirit, your soul express itself fully Mm -hmm. because it came here with a purpose and it is an expression of source or the divine. So, yeah. Love this part. (laughs) I love talking about purpose. and, And like I mentioned in the intro, love yourself fully. That's your purpose. That's what you're here to do. I just wanted to reiterate that because I think that sort of ties it up perfectly. <laughs> um, yes. And and those are your words, not mine. So I, I I read that and I had this I had this kind of like epiphany. I'm like, I wish I had a thought of that. <laughs> it was just a beautiful, beautiful moment because I actually I love talking about purpose because I struggle with my own purpose for a long period of time and I'm still quite young uh, in all stretch of the imagination yeah. and I still have my my bad days where, you know, I think that just makes us human anyway. We And someone asked me the other day, he's like, why are you or how are you always so positive? And I said, well, I'm not. <laughs> it'd, be, it, it'd, be, uh, it'd be wrong for me to say that I was always so positive because that's not living in reality. I have my bad days but then I'm, I, I, I said to this person, I go back to my ultimate purpose, which is to help people. And then I, I remember that I am grateful for that. I'm grateful to be able to, number one, love myself enough so that I can live fully in my purpose. And then secondly, I notice, hey, this is not doing me any good if I'm staying stuck in this, this negative state of being. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, people say that to me all the time as well. How come you're always so positive and you're always so happy? But it's true, I'm not. I have my bad days too, mm-hmm. you know, and even though I'm an author and speaker and help, um, you know, other people and try to motivate other people, it doesn't mean I don't have bad days. But it's just that I um, I tend to use a lot of tools to climb out of it and those are the tools I, I try and teach other people. Mm. So, yeah. What exactly. has what, what has been one of your your greatest failures you can you can remember? Um, you mean at any point of time in my life? Any um, point in time in your life? Oh gosh, there's probably been quite a few. <laughs> one one that stands out to you the most has sort of challenged you quite a bit. Um, so I mean, I once got. Uh, fired. So the thing is that before my near-death experience, and still I have tendency a tendency to be a people pleaser. And I think that one of my greatest failures is that I was always, it, I used to always put other people's needs ahead of mine, believing that that is the selfless thing to do and it's good to be selfless. And I would do it to the point of my own detriment. And of course, it's good to serve people and all that stuff, but not to your own detriment. And also, it depends on the reason you're doing it. It was because it was always really important for me to fit in. And I was always afraid of disappointing people. So probably one of my greatest failures was um, growing up with this belief that I had to constantly work really hard at being worthy and deserving of approval from other people. And so I was always bending over backwards to win people's approval and always there for everybody else, serving everyone else, but never looking after my own needs or my own self. And Mm -hmm. uh, that really worked to my detriment in the long run. And that was 
my greatest failure was how long it took for me to realize that actually I matter in the eyes of our creator. I matter as much as everybody else. And, and, um, I am worthy and deserving and, and yes. So, so I was literally a doormat for many years. Mm. Yeah. I love, I love hearing that because you, you grew up in Singapore to Indian parents. You moved to Hong Kong at the age of just two years old. You lived in Hong Kong for most of your life. Um, you have a British, British education, you're multilingual. You grew up speaking English, Cantonese, an Indian dialect simultaneously, which is honestly insane. I, I struggle with English at <laughs> 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 the best of times. Um, and you also know French too. Yeah, um, I learned French at school. It was compulsory for us to take in school a second language because it was an English school, you know, and of course they don't realize I'm already speaking Chinese and, and an Indian dialect at home. So, yeah, so I was learning French and English at school. So having this kind of education behind you, what did you really want to be when you grew up? So I, uh, and it's funny, I look back now and I, and I realized all I really wanted was to be free because I was, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to be, but I knew that I wanted to travel the world and um, I come from a culture where women are, uh, are and particularly at that time, very um, subjugated, you know, like we were, we were groomed to become wives. And we were told that we would have an arranged marriage. Mm-hmm. And so we were discouraged from being what they call overeducated because then, uh, then it's harder to get you married if you're too smart or so they believed in, in my culture. Mm-hmm. And, but I wanted to, um, I, I wanted to go to college and study and I wanted, because I wanted to be able to earn my own money so that I could be free from this culture. Because in my culture, you the men in our culture are supposed to support us. Women aren't allowed to be free. We're not supposed to work and have careers, but I saw all those things as a ticket to freedom. And, and I see that now why I wanted to do all those things was because I wanted to be free, but my parents did arrange a marriage for me. And three days before the wedding, I ran away again, because I saw the marriage as something that was going to lock me down Mm. is another, you know, it was a, I had no idea until in the last few years, when I look back on my life, how much I valued freedom from the time I was really young and mm-hmm. how it went against my culture. Um, the other thing about being somebody who grew up in a multicultural environment, being born in Singapore to Indian parents and living in a predominantly Chinese city and going to a British school with British kids, um, what that did is it made me feel like I did not belong anywhere because I wasn't British. I was a brown kid amongst white kids. I wasn't Chinese, but all my neighbors and the kids on the street were Chinese. Um, when I was with Indian kids, even though I was the same race, the Indian kids went to an Indian school, mm-hmm. whereas I was different because um, I spoke more languages than them. And also I thought differently because I was exposed to more cultures. So the Indian kids felt I wasn't completely Indian. So I didn't fit in anywhere. And I was a bit of a chameleon where I would, because I really wanted to belong, I found myself shifting and trying to belong. And so if I was with the Indian kids, I behaved more Indian. If I was with the British kids, the Western kids, I would behave more British. And even the the language and the way I would speak would change. If I was with the Chinese kids, I would behave more Chinese. And so I was like a chameleon. I didn't have my own identity for a long, long time. And so I literally lost myself in trying to fit into all this mm. and without really having a sense of belonging to any of them. I can also hear that you're breaking stereotypes left, right, and center. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, even though you didn't feel like you belonged, you, you, you sort of like went against the grain, which is sort of similar to what I did for a lot of the time because I, even though I was a, 
uh, a white kid. I went to a very small school. I kind of felt like I didn't fit in because I knew I was different um, in, in many ways, not in the sense that, you know, I came from like where you came from in terms of like culturally, but it was more or less just finding my place in terms of uh, friendship groups. And there were always like those, those groups, you know, like they would hang around with each other. And I, yep. I didn't know where I fit in into all that. I wanted to be a filmmaker. Everyone saw that as, you know, weird. How can you do that? Um, so it was, it was just trying to find your own identity through all that. And it was, there was like times in my life where I was sort of like crying out for attention uh, in many ways, um, which I, th- I feel like a lot of young people are doing to, the, to this day. And they do feel like, hey, I don't fit in, that sort of stuff. But one thing that, that I do want to ask you is, so where did you end up getting work and, and did you find your, did you eventually find your place in, in uh, yeah. So that's interesting. So I did find work. I've, I've held down a couple of different jobs and one of my favorites was with a, uh, with a fashion accessory company where, which involved a lot of travel. And at that time I actually went to Sydney about two or three times with that job and I loved it. Um, so it was with a French fashion accessory company where it was, it was fun because I loved fashion and accessories at that time. I was, I was a lot younger than I am now. And it was before my near death experience. And, um, I was responsible for helping to basically, um, window dress, uh, any store that was selling our products in the Asia Pacific region. So there I was living in Hong Kong and I got to travel to Thailand and Indonesia and Bali and Australia and Guam and all these places where there were shops that were ordering our fashion products. And I had to go there and teach the, 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 the staff of these stores about the products and about um, how to sell them and about how to display them in the window and, and mm-hmm. really go there and make sure that our products were being displayed in the best possible way. That was such a fun job because I'm playing with fashion accessories and traveling and getting out, meeting people and staying in a hotel on my own. But I had to really, um, f- really fight I say fight, but really come up against my culture at that time to be able to do this. So this was in the, um, in the nineties, probably around the time you were just being born. Um, and it was in 1995, 96, around that time, uh, when, when I was, I was doing this and in my culture, women were supposed to be married and be good housewives, but I was out there traveling to all these places. And because it was a French fashion accessory company, I was flown to France, to Paris twice a year to help select the products as well for our Asian market. And so I just loved that because there was so much freedom. And in my culture, we're supposed to live with our parents until we're married and I couldn't move out, but traveling gave me that freedom of going and exploring places and, Mm. you know, living in hotels. And it was, I just loved that time. I was in that job for about three years and loved it. Uh, Trust me, I will get to your near-death experience in just a moment, but I want to ask, what did your parents think or or say to you while you were having your sense of freedom? Did they want to close you back in again? Um, They would keep, putting pressure on me to find a good Indian husband and get married. And they kept reminding me that don't think of this as a career. You're just passing the time until you get married. That sort of thing. Yeah. There was a lot of that pressure. So you had all this pressure come about and in 2002, you had a cancer diagnosis. Now, are you able to walk me through what was going through your mind at the time when you had that diagnosis hit you for the first time? So before that though, I, I did meet and marry a wonderful man who is still my husband today, Danny. Um, so I met and married him, which, uh, has been 
probably the best thing that I've done in my life. Um, and he has been incredibly supportive. And then in, uh, 2002, I was diagnosed with cancer and, uh, which progressed over a period of four years. It spread throughout my body and throughout my lymphatic system. And I had tumors, some of them the size of golf balls from the base of my skull, all around my neck, uh, in my chest and all the way down to my abdomen and under my arms. And so over the period of four years, as it progressed and spread, my body also stopped absorbing nutrition. So I weighed about 95 pounds. I looked like a skeleton, actually maybe less. I think it was 85 pounds. I looked like a skeleton and my muscles completely atrophied. So I couldn't even walk. My legs didn't even have the strength to hold my own weight. My lungs were filled with fluid all the time and I had to, the doctors had to keep draining the fluid. And then on February the 2nd, 2006, um, my organs started to shut down one by one and I went into a coma. And that was when the doctors told my family that these are my final hours and that I wasn't going to come out of the coma and that I was dying. So they told that to my family and who were distraught, but unbeknownst to my family and everyone around me, even though my physical body was there lying in that hospital bed in a coma dying, I had left my body mm. and I felt amazing. I felt free. I mean, I'd never experienced that level of freedom in my life, uh, in physical life. I was free of my body. I was free of all the pain from the illness. I was free of all the fear of the illness, the fear of dying, the fear of the treatments. I was free of trying desperately to win everybody's approval. I was just free. And all I felt was just this feeling of beautiful and pure, unconditional love. Like I was just expanded and out of my body. And, um, it was just the most amazing feeling. And, um, that was the ultimate freedom. And I think that was when I really had the clue that, oh gosh, this is what I was seeking my whole life, freedom. And, um, I felt as though I was surrounded by beings, uh, other beings who were there to greet me and help me with the dying process. And it was a state of clarity where I understood why I had the cancer and why it was that, um, that I was lying in that hospital bed dying. And it was because I had always suppressed myself and never loved myself and, and, and all these other things that I, um, often speak about. And, uh, and then I felt like I had a choice as to whether to come back into my body or not. And, um, I was aware also of everything that was happening around my physical body. Like what I was aware of what the doctors were saying, what they were telling my husband, which I relayed to them later. And that's when they freaked out and realized, oh, wow, something did happen. She mm. did hear and see everything. Um, but, uh, when I was given the choice of whether to come back to my body, I didn't want to come back because it was so amazing on the other side. But then um, I started to understand. In fact, my dad was there on that side because he had died 10 years prior. Uh, he wanted me to know that it wasn't my time and I still had a purpose to fulfill. And I realized that my husband Danny's purpose and mine was linked. And if I didn't come back, he wouldn't be able to fulfill his purpose either. So, um, I made the choice to come back and my dad, and, and the thing I realized on that side is that we are a lot more powerful than we've been led to believe here. Mm. And so when I did make the choice to come back, my dad said, go back and live your life fearlessly. And then I came out of the coma and I'd been in the coma for about 34 hours or 36 hours. And, uh, I came out of the coma and the doctors were surprised and I told them everything I had seen and the tumors started to shrink very shortly after I came out of the coma and everybody was 
really surprised. And in about five weeks, I was released from the hospital to go home cancer free. <laughs> and that was in 2006. And um, it's just changed the way I view life since then. I am awestruck by the fact that your cancer actually subsided and it, you were free of it. Like all from that moment, like it wasn't anything that the doctors did at all to, to help the cancer? They were, so what had happened is they had already done, everybody had done a lot for those four years. Mm. And so it would come and go and come and go, but it was just like managing symptoms up until the near death experience. That's when it's never come back since then. <laughs> See, and of course, yeah. And so different people will say, oh, it's because of this or you did, you know, they're putting it on the physical, oh, this treatment must have helped you or that helped you. No, but the point is I did all of that for four years and it just, I was still struggling with it, but something changed, something flicked inside where I suddenly realized I have a purpose. I'm here to make a difference. I have to love myself. I'm more powerful than I thought. I'm worthy and deserving. None of these feelings were there within me before that, before the NDE. So who do you believe actually healed you from, from the cancer? Um, I don't think it's a who. Mm. I think it's a what or a, I think that it's about awakening to your true potential. It's about awakening to your purpose. When people are struggling with their health, I usually say to them, why do you want to be healthy? Use this time to discover your purpose and your passion. Find your passion for living. Because most people, what they do is when they have a health crisis, their whole focus is on the illness. And they're like, oh, I got to do this to get rid of the illness. I got to do this. Um, I got to do this treatment or that treatment to get rid of the illness. So I'm not saying don't do the treatments or whatever. Do that. Mm. But the main thing is... Um, Focus on why you want to live long and focus on why you want to be healthy. What do you want to do with the rest of your life and have, and find your passion for what, you know, what is your calling? What are you here to do? What is your purpose? Focus on all those things and that will get you through your health crisis and take you to health. Because if all you're focused on is, I got to get rid of this illness. I got to get rid of this illness. And then you get rid of it. But if your life still sucks, the illness comes back because you hate your life. You have no, you have no incentive to live. Mm. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. It does. It does make sense to me. And I'm curious about, so I, I believe that what you focus on it, it sort of manifests in, into your life. Like it, it's kind of like a, a vicious cycle that just keeps growing and growing and growing. If you keep focusing your, all your attention and mind on it and it just drains your energy too. So if exactly. you've got no energy to fight it, like it's, it's almost like you're, you're, you're defeating yourself. Um, exactly right. So if you're constantly focusing on the illness, so usually what happens is when people have an illness and they go to a doctor and then, and then your focus then becomes about the illness. Again, I'm not saying don't go to a doctor. Mm. <clears throat> if you have to go to a doctor, by all means, go. But then spend the rest of your time focusing on why you want to live and why you want to be healthy and focus on well-being and health and not on the illness. Our problem is that we, if someone has an illness, their focus is on the illness. The focus is not on the wellness. Mm. We need to shift our focus from illness to wellness. We end up focusing on the illness and go down that downward spiral of manifesting more of it, exactly as you say, because that's where our focus is. And I'm, I'm always curious about, so we all want to be healthy. We all want to live a, you know, a free and purpose-filled life that doesn't have illness attached to it. And if, if we were to look at it, so someone has got an illness, they're doing all the things that you have just spoken about, you know, they're focusing on 
on their purpose, on on loving themselves. They're doing all this this amazing work, but they're still the illness is still there. And what what do we? How do we navigate that conversation? Like, I'm sure they would still have the question of you know, Anita, I'm doing all this stuff that you 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 mentioned. Uh, why is my illness still there? Why hasn't I, why haven't I been healed? How would we navigate that kind of conversation? Well, usually illness has its own journey. And usually when it's still there, it still is there. And it's, you can never really answer why is it still there? The, what I tell people is you really do have to just love yourself through it. You have to treat yourself like your own child or your own best friend. If your if your best friend or your child is is sick, even though they're doing all the right things, you're not going to say to them, why are you still sick? I'm doing everything I can to heal you. Why are you still sick? We have to not say that to ourselves. And that is the first sign of self-love is acceptance. I'm going to accept and love myself through this illness. In fact, I'm going to love myself more, even more, because that's when it's needed more. And I'm not going to judge myself however long it takes. Because that judging that, oh my God, I'm doing everything and still not getting better, that stress itself and that fear itself is actually contributing to the illness and mm. not to the wellness. Mm. Oh, this yeah. is powerful. <laughs> I've never actually thought about this much in, in my own life because I have been through like literal hell and back and there have been moments in my life where I have questioned, um, I, 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 I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a, I'm a believer in, in God, like I'm a Christian. So there have been moments in my life where I've gone, you know, why am I going through this? Uh, God, like, why is this happening in my life? Like, but then I realize now it's always a funny thing. I realize now that looking back, if I didn't go through all that sort of, uh, experiences, I wouldn't be here today to share, to relate to anything. <laughs> I wouldn't be able exactly. to. Exactly. Yeah, to share any of this story. Um, there, there always comes a point where you realize that, oh, this is why it's happening. But mm -hmm. you can't, like while you're going through it, you can't say um, like, why is this happening? Why? I mean, we do say that, but but you won't get the answer then. In You will get it after the journey's over. Mm. And that's when it'll just come to you like, oh, See, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if it wasn't for this. And that's how I feel. One hundred percent. Like I started to to realize, hey, it's not my question it's not my job to question why. It's my job to question what. What are you trying to teach me in this moment? And I yes. always say that we are exactly where we need to be in life. We're not exactly, exactly. where we always want to be but we're exactly where we need to be in order to grow, in order to become the person that we are designed to be. Uh, I, ultimately, yes. I ultimately believe that. Um, yeah. I do too. <laughs> well, yeah. Gosh, it's been really great talking to you. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been such an amazing conversation and you ask amazing questions. Thank you. I, I have two more final questions for you because I do want to be respectful of your time. So this one, Anita, is, is one of my all-time favorite questions I ask everyone at the end. So it's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me that you have been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Wow, that's, that's powerful. Um, I would want to, uh, I would love to be, remembered or thought of or loved or respected for someone who has um, shifted the way people view illness. Mm. Um, I would love for people to realize that they are not a victim of their illness, but that there is 
a lot. There is a completely different way of thinking about illness. And I would love for people to realize that um, uh, what I would love to leave behind is a legacy where medicine is no longer illness focused, but becomes more wellness focused. That's one thing I would love to leave behind and for people and to be and for pe- for people to start thinking that way and so yes if i live to be 100 i would love it if i had achieved that and people said oh thank you for changing the way we look at uh, at health and well-being and now medicine is no longer focused on just illness but it's more focused on wellness and helping people to stay well and then i guess the uh, another thing is that um it's a, it's a hard question actually I would, I would love it if, um, if, if I could, I guess, uh, see that I have helped a lot of people, the more, the better. I would love to leave the world a better place than when I came here. And if I am able to teach people to love and leave the legacy that love is the love is the solution to every single problem in the world. Mm. And if I can be someone that actually shares and spreads that message, then I would absolutely love that. (laughs) Do you feel like anything is missing in your life currently? Currently? No, I actually feel quite fulfilled where I am right now. I really do. I feel very, I feel very fulfilled and blessed with everything I'm doing. I feel like I am on my purpose. Mm. I didn't many years ago before the near-death experience, before getting the cancer, but I feel very, very settled right now. I don't have that desire to be free and to travel and all that that I had before because I actually feel very, very free right now. Amazing. You have a new book coming out, I believe. Um, are you able yes. to share what that, what that uh, is about and, and more specifically, where can people buy one? Sure. So the book has just come out. It's called Sensitive is the New Strong. And the subtitle is The Power of Empaths in, a, in an Increasingly Harsh World. So it is targeted for people who have been told they are sensitive or too sensitive and for people who relate to being an empath and those who struggle in this world because they are sensitive. And, um, and so in this book, what I do is I help people who are sensitive and who are empaths to embrace their sensitivity and see it as a strength and not a weakness. And I give them, I give the reader a lot of tools on how to really tap into more of the superpower and magical qualities of being an empath because empaths and sensitive people are, are, can be extremely intuitive if they know how, and if they know the tools, you can be very intuitive. Um, you, you literally can be like a sixth sensory being, but, but the bigger picture of this book though, also is that I talk about how in this world, we tend to, um, we tend to say traits like when we define strength, we tend to define it using traits like ruthlessness, competitiveness, people who are go-getters. Um, and we use terms like that to define, oh, they're a strong person. They know what they want. They're go-getters. They, they win at all costs and so on. And we admire those traits and we worship people who have those traits. And those are the traits that we put into leadership positions. We vote for them. We elevate them. We put them on pedestals. And then we have this world that seems to have kind of gone out of control and it's pretty harsh and we wonder why. So my theory is that maybe we need to redefine what it means to be strong. Maybe we need to have a different metric and maybe strength needs to be defined as someone who is compassionate, empathic, sensitive, um, someone who's more intuitive, someone who's more, um, um, who's more empathic towards the needs of others. Maybe those should be defined as strengths. And maybe if we 
also, and maybe if people who had those traits came out into the limelight and took on more leadership positions, we could actually change the world. Mm. And because, you know, right now what happens is when you're sensitive, you're told that, oh, grow a thicker skin and don't be so sensitive. And boys are told, boys don't cry or man up. And, and yet maybe the world actually needs those traits more. Mm-hmm. And everyone who has them are suppressing them. But, but what I'm saying is don't suppress them. Come out and show those traits. We need it. Mm-hmm. So we that's need- what this book is about. It's going to be such a powerful book. I have no doubt that it'll become another New York Times bestseller with that, <laughs> that sort of message that needs to be had. Um, I, I think we need more authenticity in the world and that is that is going to help people unlock that authenticity. So, And I've got man enough up there with um, Justin Baldoni who speaks about a very similar thing but undefining masculinity what that really looks like. And I love how you mentioned empathy. More men need to become empathetic um, to other people's needs. And that is a sign of real strength. Yes. Totally agree. And they need to be, thank you. And they need to be okay to show it. You know, men, many men are already empathic or they're empaths, but they're afraid to show it. Mm. Um, because they think it's a sign of weakness. So we need to change that and say, no, that's a sign of strength so that people show it. Uh, yes. I, I could I could speak to you all day, Anita, but <laughs> unfortunately I, I believe our, our time has, has come to an end for, for this one, that is. But thank you so much, Anita, for, for sharing a little bit about your story today on the Storybox podcast. Uh, Thank you so much, Jay. That was fun and I really enjoyed it. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.